0: don't actually know me, maybe you don't know that I'm, I'm a dad, a proud dad of, of two kids. I've got a little girl and a little boy. They're both amazing. My little girl, she's actually three and a half. Her name is Selah. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I learned so much from Selah, you know. And one thing that I've realized about her is that she is completely unashamed. Like she has no shame, especially when it comes to her wardrobe. So this morning she walks out and she's wearing multicolored socks, like two different you know, socks from two different pairs of socks. And I'm like, hey, that's cool if that's what you want to do. And, uh, you know, she, I think mama actually wound up fixing that. She's wearing sandals now. She looks appropriate for church, but I love her imagination. As a matter of fact, sometimes she'll, she'll come out in a tutu. Or maybe she'll be wearing, like, a pretend Princess Elsa dress, right? You guys with little girls know about that. You know, she's so imaginative and, and very creative, and she, she loves the idea of a fairy tale. And, and really, don't we all? Don't we all kind of love the magic of a fairy tale? I've got some friends that have actually left the kids at the house and have gone to Disney World, right, by themselves. Yeah, you're like, hey man, we all need to try that one. Because we all love a fairy tale. We love the idea of getting outside of reality. We love the idea of living in a castle and 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 maybe having, you know, woodland fairy talking animal friends. And and we love the idea of maybe living in a castle. And and all these things are really cool and, and attractive to us. So, so we get to escape reality. But even my little girl, she's three and a half, at some point she takes a tutu off. At some point, she takes Princess Elsa dress off because she know, knows that she has to be who God created her to be. She's got to be Selah. She's got to come back to reality. And, you know, sometimes we do this in our walks. Sometimes we look at our faith, really even we look at the God that we serve a little bit imaginatively. You know, we kind of have some creative liberty that we exercise and we think about God maybe outside of just a little bit of who he is. And, and that's normal, that's, that's what we do when we're left to our own imagination, but what we want to do is we want to look at the word, which we believe is an essential standard to kind of give us some context about who our God is. And that's what we've been doing all year long. We've been in a series called The Year of the Bible. And The Year of the Bible is really a, a series where we're taking a one-year Bible reading from the previous week, and we're preaching on that that coming Sunday. So the one-year Bible is a Bible plan that's available in, in you know, a book Bible. Uh, you can find it in the NC Cafe just outside those doors. You can pick one up. Uh, it's, it's the whole Bible broken down into daily readings, a, a New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and you'll read a portion of the word every day and finish the word by the end of the year. You can also download on your uh, device, whether it's Android or Apple, something called YouVersion, that's a Bible app, and you can search out the one-year Bible reading plan and read along with us, because the whole church is reading. Is the whole church reading? You guys reading? Who's in Romans? Did anybody start Romans? Yeah, cool, cool. Well. That's where we're at. We're in Romans, and that's what we're going to look at today. Out of the past week's reading uh, in Romans, we learn that the book of Romans is actually a letter, and this was a letter that was written to the church at Rome by a man named Paul. Paul was referred to as Paul the Apostle. Now, Paul... He begins to write this letter to the church in Rome to, to help express a few things. One, he wants to express his love for the church. He's like, look, I love you guys. I've given my life to, to do this thing. I've given my life to live for you guys, and, and, and he, he communicates that. Then he also begins to com- communicate that he is a called one that's intended to preach the good news. He's been given the responsibility to bring this message to the church. Now, the church at Rome, Kind of like our church, there's a lot of young believers, there's a lot of people with different faith backgrounds, people that come from different denominational experiences. In Rome, there was people from all different backgrounds coming together, trying to be the church together. And what Paul ultimately finds that he wants to do is he wants to bring a little bit of doctrinal correction, a little bit of of instruction to help make sure that the church is moving forward in the right way. So we're going to look at some of those things, but what is this good news that Paul is referring to? In in the first chapter of Romans, verses 3 through 4, Paul says that the good news is about his, God's, son, Jesus. And he, Jesus, was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what Paul really is doing is he's laying a foundation that Jesus is the cornerstone. See, in ancient building techniques, what a builder would do is he would select a a perfect stone, a perfect stone that was going to be the cornerstone on the foundation. And he would lay that cornerstone and every other part of the foundation will be aligned off of that stone. And Paul's saying that really Jesus is what the follower of Jesus needs to align the foundation of his life off of. Jesus. So what Jesus says, how Jesus lived, how Jesus instructs us, this is is our standard. Jesus is the cornerstone. And he says, I'm telling you the good news for two reasons. One, I want you to believe, I want you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that you are who Jesus says you are. But two, I also want you to obey. See, the belief aspect is one thing, but then there's, then there's this change of heart that comes in the, in the life of a believer, and obedience really is a reflection of just our sincerity in how we follow our God, how we follow Jesus. So I want you to believe and obey. And like I said, there was some doctrinal issues, so there was maybe a little lack of that, and Paul says, so let's take a look at at what it means to do those things. And verse 16, it says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. I want to stop there. The gospel is the power of God at work, and if the gospel is the power of God, then what I want to make sure that we do is that we invite his presence, his power, his spirit into this place to minister to us as we explore these ideas. So Heavenly Father, we need you. God, just illuminate your word. Illuminate those areas in our hearts that maybe have been darkened, God, that that you want to shine your light in, God. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you, God, that you are leading us into all righteousness, that you're going to use your word to help shape us. We thank you for Jesus, the cornerstone, the author and finisher of our faith. God, and we just submit to your your word today, God, and and we want to be led by you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul goes on and he says it's, it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. Let me clear this up for you real quick. At that time, There was Jews who were already in the promise of God. These were God's chosen people. And then there was everybody else, and everybody else was the Gentile. Well, after Jesus came, Jesus made a way for even the Gentile, everybody else, to be grafted into the promise of God, which is great news, right? But really what I want to focus on is is when Paul begins to refer To certain uh, things in this scripture in this text that we're going to read and he seems like he's addressing the Jew really what he's addressing is anybody that falls into the promise of God so so that's really the church as well he's addressing us so when Paul speaks to the Jew he's speaking to followers of Jesus now Paul also mentioned that he was unashamed why do we feel like Paul felt compelled to mention that he was unashamed well this is why see The gospel, as as hope-filled as it is, and as attractive as the idea that, that God wants to restore man to right relationship with him, that he loves us unconditionally, that he's offering us forgiveness, that he wants to pour his grace out on us, as attractive as that is, when you present that against the reason that we need the gospel, the gospel begins to look a little more offensive. Some scripture even comes off quite controversial we're gonna read some scriptures that, that might offend the hearts of men and women that could feel controversial, but this is God's word, and we're gonna explore that. Now, something that you know, we really you know, need to, to, to remember is that Paul also says later in Romans that, that the cornerstone, Jesus, would ultimately be a stumbling block for some. Our goal today is that we would open our hearts up and allow God to minister to us so that we wouldn't stumble over Jesus. That's our prayer for today. So in verse 17, it says, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And immediately, Paul comes out swinging, is anybody offended when somebody tries to tell you how to live your life? Yeah, absolutely. You're like, who are you talking to? You do you, I'll do me. You don't worry about what I got going on over here, right? It's offensive when somebody kind of gets up in your business. But here's Paul saying God desires to teach you how to live life right. Now, NC believes here at this church that the word is authoritative, that it's authentic, it's God's word, and we align our lives around God's word. And we believe that it's profitable to teach us and train us in righteousness and right living. So when we look at the word, we accept it in its entirety. God loves us. And when we see that that Paul begins to talk about how God desires to help us live a right life, The other thing that we want to do is is get the proper heart behind the text. So we want to understand that God's not just here trying to point fingers. Paul's not here trying to point fingers. You need to get right. Pastor Stephen's not up here pointing fingers. You need to get right. It's not that, but it is this. God desires to make us right. Why? Because he loves us so much that once he takes us from lost and finds us, once we've gone from lost to found, that he loves us enough that he doesn't want to leave us the way he found us. He wants to experience life change. He wants to experience his grace empowering us to accomplish his will in our lives. So in verse 17, it says, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. By faith. It's not accomplished by doing good works. It's not accomplished by what you've done. It's accomplished by what he's done. Amen. Now, as the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life and we wanna be right, and we want life, don't we? Don't we all want life? But there's things that keep us from experience the, experiencing the fullness of the life that God has promised. Paul begins to outline this thing, and he says, really, it's sin. Sin keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's promise in our lives. And we learn from the word, which is really one of the best places to know the mind of God. We learn from the word that God thinks certain things about sin. So what does God think about sin? I'm just going to read the scripture for you. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Again, comes off very offensive, doesn't it? God's angry at sin. God's angry even that we would allow ourselves to be led into that place of sin. He's angry that the cost of sin is so great because it separates him from us. Sin really is the opposite of what God's perfect will is for our lives and that frustrates God. In verse 19, he says, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, in the scientific community, um, you know, it's been predominantly for many, many years, uh, atheistic, Most scientists have found that they can explain away existence without having to have a God involved in that equation. But in recent years, more scientists are coming to the reality. Astrophysicists are looking at the universe, biologists are looking at the atom, and they're looking at the complexity of life, and they're looking at this intricate design and how everything is so perfectly ordered, and they're saying there's no way that this was done without some intelligent designer being involved in the process. Yeah, it's cool. As a matter of fact, some of scientists' own laws actually validate this. The, the laws of thermodynamics, one of those is entropy. Entropy is a law, a scientific law that, that they don't refute, whether they believe in God or not, that says everything left to itself tends towards disorder or chaos. Their very own laws suggest there is a bigger something holding all of this together. Isn't that cool? Verse 21, this is the catch. He says, they know God or know of God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Really, they might have had a form of godliness with no power. Maybe they rejected God's headship. Maybe they rejected Jesus' lordship. Maybe they refused to surrender because they were too much in themselves. In verse twenty-two, we see that they claimed to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. Offensive. Who you calling a fool, man? This is God's word. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And you say, Pastor Stevens, there ain't none of that going on no more. Nobody's worshiping birds and lizards and stuff. Well, that's actually not true. If you look at Hinduism, Hinduism actually has over 33 million gods. 33 million gods, all of which generally are, are, are reflected by the image of either a man or an animal. So that does still happen. But not only that, you know that we have modern idols? you know that our work can be an idol? You know that even the work that we do unto the Lord can become an idol. The ministry that we work on can be lifted up higher than the God who that ministry is intended to point to. Our our profession, our ministry, our families, our kids, our wives, our husbands, even ourselves. All of these things can be lifted up above God and become an idol. What about this one? Yo, how many times have I woken up to read the Bible and before I got to you version, I'm already on Facebook? How many times has that happened to you? Maybe a little idolatry? Unintentional. It just happens. We need God, don't we? We really do. Because of the hardness of their heart, we learn that God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. I used to trade baseball cards when I was a kid. You didn't want to be on the short end of the stick. These guys, short end of the stick. They traded truth for a lie. Bad deal. I know. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator, who's worthy of eternal praise. Now look, I've really appreciated you guys kind of preaching back and amening and all that stuff. That's great. I appreciate that. But what we're about to do is we're going to read some scripture that's a bit controversial. As a matter of fact, it could be arguably some of the most controversial scripture in all of the text, especially right now in the cultural climate that we're living in. This scripture that I'm about to read actually uh, is very offensive to many people and maybe even some people that are in this room right now. So we want to be respectful because just because you get it doesn't mean that everyone gets it. And we wanna, we wanna move aside distractions that could keep that person from getting it because we want God to speak through this right now. So please withhold those things. I'll let you know when we can get back to preaching that one hour, okay? So here it is. One thing I wanna say is this. We're striving to be biblically correct. We wanna be biblically correct, not politically correct. And we can't compromise as followers of Jesus, so we have, to, we have to look at this text. In verse 26, it says, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal, God-designed sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should have never been done. Now, why isn't this easy? Why isn't it just, well, that's what the word says, so praise God. Well, this is why. Because many people in our community, maybe even some people in these seats right now, are either they themselves wrestling with sexual identity maybe have same-sex attraction and are, are figuring out who they are. There's an identity crisis taking place. Their very being, who God supposedly created them to be is in question. That's, that's, that's a sensitive situation. Not only that, but if you look in our community, we have husbands that have walked away from wives in order to pursue maybe a same-sex relationship. We have sons and daughters who are coming out and parents are, are struggling with how to respond in a biblical way, responding by the Holy Spirit, but with love and grace, yet not trying to endorse and condone while at the same time trying to love and lead. That's a very difficult spot to be. It's very difficult. So the word is very clear, it's black and white, and we won't compromise on that. We're not gonna allow culture to shape our thinking about what we believe, this is who we are. But we've got to start to reevaluate the way that we navigate this conversation because I'll tell you this, standing on a soapbox and yelling through a bullhorn and holding up signs isn't gonna cut it. Love and compassion has got to be the driving motivator and we've got to, before we speak, listen. We've got to learn to listen. And then as we develop trust in the context of these relationships, now we can begin to be not a flashlight in that person's eyes examining what's inside of them, but rather a lighthouse saying come to this because this is what God has called us to. This is what God has called you to. You don't need to live that life of compromise and you can come be part of everything that God has destined you to be part of. You can't amen that. Now, the cool thing about Paul is he doesn't show partiality. Paul's not here to nitpick one specific group of people. As a matter of fact, Paul lumps everybody off in this thing, right? In the next couple verses, he said, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling on social media, deception. That's in the scripture. Malicious behavior and gossip, and we hate gossip, don't we? Northwood Church, do we hate gossip? Can we stop talking about things that don't matter? Can we just build one another up and lift one another up and speak life? Because gossip is, is horrible. God hates it too. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Any proud or boastful people in here? I've been that. And sometimes still, even at times. And they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. Students, this is you. They disobey their parents. Students, can I just challenge you right now for just a moment? Will you guys start to view your parents as more of an authority in your life and a little less like a friend, while you may have developed a friendly relationship, God has put them in your life as an authority to guide you, to steer you, to love you, and to to maybe create some environments that are super fun, but they are first your authority. And if you don't learn to honor your God-given authority, then you'll have a very difficult time honoring the most supreme authority in your life, God himself. Can we honor our parents, students? Amen, students? Has the word begun to offend anybody yet? A little bit, maybe? They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless, and they have no mercy. I think maybe they have no mercy because they don't understand the nature of God. See, God is, is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And while God talks about the things that separate us, his desire is that he can extend his mercy. To us, He wants to lay merciful hands on us that we would know his goodness. Now, we're gonna talk about his mercy in a little bit, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge this attribute of God. He's also a just God. And justice is very important. Now, this is hard for some people. They know those people that Paul was just referring to, they know God's justice requires that those who do those things deserve to die. I don't think he's referring to a physical death. This isn't off with their heads. This is a spiritual death, a a spiritual separation from God. Yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So God's ultimate desire is to save us from ourselves. Let's clear that up. However, the answer to the question that we started with, what does God think about sin? Well, we learn in the scripture that the wages or the penalty of sin is death that's hard for some people to swallow. Especially in a cultural context where everybody just wants to believe that God loves everybody, which is true, and everybody's made in God's image, which is true, but also that everybody will have forgiveness whether or not they surrender their lives to God, and that everybody will have heaven whether or not they surrender their lives to God. Those things are not true. And and God's justice is important for us to explore because really, without justice, we have a difficult time ever understanding his mercy. So the one thing that I really want to make sure that we understand that Paul is, is, is kind of dialing in, though, is this is not as much about anybody else. You know, when we were reading through those things, did, did it just so happen that maybe somebody else popped in your mind? Oh, yeah, proud and boastful. I know a guy. I know a guy. Yeah, he needs this. I'm going to send him the link on Facebook later. I think Paul, really, I think Paul is referring more specifically to us as individuals, our individual relationship with God. As a matter of fact, we see that in Romans 2:1. It says, "You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and, and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others, do these very things. Paul's saying, "Know your role in the courtroom. You're not the judge. You're not the jury. As much as some of us enjoy being the prosecuting attorney, we're not that either. We make a real good case, don't we? But not only that, we're also not the defense attorney. We're not supposed to run to the defense of somebody who's living outside of the will of God, who's trespassing God's standards, and say, it's okay, you can do these things. God loves you. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to be witnesses in the courtroom, that we would put our hand on the Bible, and that we would say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so what? Help us, God. Help us to tell the truth with grace and mercy. Help us to tell the truth first to ourselves. Help us receive this truth. We're witnesses. It's got less to do with other people and more to do with what God's doing in our lives. So the question is, how does God respond to sin? In verse 2, he says, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. And then he goes on in the next few verses, which I'm just going to rattle off, and he mentions a couple things that are, that are pretty intense. And he says, God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He'll judge everyone. He'll pour out his anger and wrath. There will be trouble and calamity. People will be destroyed. People will be judged. And again, we don't like this attribute. Our imaginative God is so much more attractive <laughs> He just loves people. He just, it's just whatever, live however you want. But there'll be a judgment. C.S. Lewis says, mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. We want mercy, but we don't want justice. Mercy detached from justice actually grows unmerciful. Without justice, mercy can't exist. So God has to be just, and God also has to be merciful. Now, I told you about my firstborn. Now let me tell you about my secondborn, Justice. His name is actually Justice. He just hit a year the other day. And a year and a couple days ago, we were in the hospital, and my son was being born. And we're full of expectation and full of joy, right, because my son is coming. And Amy's over there laboring, giving her best she's a hustler. You ladies, man, I'm telling you right now, I could never. Just give it up for the ladies in the house who have had babies. Because I've been at both of those, and uh, I wouldn't do it. <clears throat> I would just be that parent and be like, nah, we're just going to travel. <laughs> but Justice was born, and, and when he was born, as excited as we were, we, we found that he was born without his left hand. Now, don't get me wrong. My son is my son. And and at the very moment that I realized it happened, I remember smiling at my wife saying, baby, this is our son, we love him. At the same time, I'm stomping my foot through the concrete floor of the hospital. This tension, this frustration, yet this love. It's this dichotomy. And over the coming days and weeks and months, you know, I had to wrestle through some things. We have had to wrestle through some things asking why did this happen and the word that God put on my heart was that justice won't always look the way you think it should look. Justice won't always look the way you think it should look. Now I got that word that was helpful for me to navigate this situation with my son but I think it's a perfect reflection of God's character. Let me do justice, you do what you're responsible to do. Now the cool thing is this, as I was and we were walking through this thing, We were reminded by God multiple times, man, this could have been way worse. The condition that caused justice to be born without his hand, it can can kill a child in the womb. It could have been way worse and we were that much more aware of God's mercy. And it it took having to experience and wrestle through something that we couldn't reconcile, God's justice, to also know his mercy. So justice and mercy, they have to go hand in hand. Now the Bible tells us to seek justice and love mercy. The cool thing is, is that mercy triumphs over justice. Amen section, we can wake back up right there. Mercy triumphs over justice. Isn't that awesome? So we know that God has to execute justice, but his desire is that we come into this place where he can pour out his mercy. In verse four, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And in the next couple verses he says he'll give you eternal life and there will be glory and honor and peace from God. God wants right relationship with us. In the next verse Paul says that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. Now that is a judgment. But knowing that God's goodness draws us to repentance, knowing that Being aware of who God is causes us to want to lay our lives down, let everything else go, and lean into what God has promised for us. We can know that there's something hope-oriented to look forward to even in the day of judgment. We have salvation if we receive it. So how do we get right with God? In verse 28, Paul says, "'For you're not a true Jew or a follower of Jesus.'" just because you were born of Jewish parents or just because your parents belonged to some church or just because you were raised in a Christian home and you've been, you've been kind of following your parents' coattails, just kind of flying in under the radar, you know, walking with their faith instead of your own, that's not what does it. Or because you've gone through the ceremony or, or of circumcision or because you've gone through growth track or you've gone through some how to become a Christian class, none of those things makes you a true follower of Jesus. A true follower of Jesus is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, circumcision is really just the removal of impurity from our hearts, the removal of sin from our hearts, is not merely obeying the letter of the law, but rather it's a change of heart produced by the spirit of God. God wants a changed heart, church. In the book Ezekiel, God speaks to the prophet and he speaks through the prophet and he says, I want to pour water down on you and I want to make you righteous and I want to take your heart of stone out of you and I want to give you a heart of flesh. I want to do a heart transplant. And that's what God desires for all of us. Everyone that's outside of his will. Everyone that found themselves in this camp, God desires to give them a heart transplant and know them as his own. As a matter of fact, he wants to put the spirit of his son in them so that they cry out, Father, God, Daddy, I'm desperate for you. That's what the spirit of God in us causes us to do. So the question is, is there anyone in here that's desperate for God? More importantly, is there anyone in here that has just become desperate for God, for this God we've just been talking about. You're about to have a chance to receive him. What we need to do is we need to bow our heads and close our eyes. First, what I wanna do is I wanna pray with the church. Now, church, God's love really is powerful and it covers a multitude of sins. And we press into his love. But we also need to know that we can't continue to willfully choose to do things outside of what God has called us to and expect that God not come and try to bring some correction to our lives. This is part of God's nature, it's part of our, his character. So right now, we just wanna quiet our hearts. Remember, this is between you and God, not anybody else. And God, we're just here to get together today, just seeking your face as your church. And we're saying we need you, we want you, I know we don't act that way sometimes. I know sometimes we're distracted by these other things that we've really almost made idols in our lives, God. God, we're distracted by so many things. God, would you forgive us and draw our hearts back to a pure obedience where we just submit to you? God, we wanna know you more deeply. We wanna know more of what you have for us. And we wanna honor you with our lives in every way that the words that we speak be honor unto you, that our deeds be honor unto you, and that you get the glory for it. God, we just want your presence in our lives. We thank you for it. Now, church, you continue to pray for those people that I'm about to talk to right now. See, there's some other people that are sitting in this room right now. And maybe you've not known God. Or maybe you thought you knew God, like some of these people that Paul kind of expressed. But maybe it's been kind of like a form of godliness without power. But you know what God wants to do? God wants to pour his spirit onto your life and into your heart right now. And he wants to give you a heart transplant. And he wants to revive your life. He wants to save your soul and you're sitting in the room right now, and you're thinking about all the things that were said, and you're like, hold on, you said a lot, and and I get that, that's cool, that's great, but can you just kind of sum it up for me? And that's what I want to do for you right now. If you're sitting in this room, in a seat, and you're saying, I think that God is asking me to lay my life down, but I just need to hear it really clearly. I'm about to give you a very clear gospel presentation. I'm going to spell it out letter by letter. Gospel spelled with G, God created us to be with him. O, our sin separates us from God. S, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for our sin, Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And L, life with Jesus is a great adventure that lasts forever and can begin for you right now. So we're putting aside this imaginative God. We're putting aside the fairy tale and you're about to say yes to becoming part of the greatest story ever. You wanna be part of a, a magical kingdom? You need to be part of the kingdom of God where there's power and grace, where you will truly live a life that's happily ever after. But I need to know who you are because we're about to pray together you're about to accept this free gift of salvation nobody's eyes are open all heads are bowed if you're in this room and this is you and you want this for your life you want Jesus I just need you to and and I'm gonna count to to three and when I say go I need you to all raise your hand at the same time and then we're going to pray together so if you're in this room and you want Jesus one two three let me see your hands right now nobody's looking I see you over here I see you over here I see you here I see you in the back I see hands all over the place God I thank you for the Souls that you have brought to this place today, guys. You just raised your hand, and or maybe you didn't raise your hand. You're about to agree in prayer with me. This is your prayer, not not me saying it. You're saying this out of your heart You're, by agreeing. And God's going to own you as His own. He's going to call you son. He's going to call you daughter. This is your prayer, Father. Forgive me. I've I've been living a life of sin. I wanna lay myself down at your feet right now. I wanna accept this free gift of salvation that you have offered me. I'm confessing right now in my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want that same power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of me and to cause me to live a life worth living. I wanna be saved calling on your name right now Jesus and I thank you for saving my life I I give you my all I give you everything I have take it and do with me what you will in Jesus name amen and amen come on let's give it up for God and the lives that he's changing let's give it up for those people who who bold enough to say yes I want that I want that
1: If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today.